Well, one one thing I wanted to tell you was about um, you, we left off talking about that story while you were on the airplane, and that actually was very impactful for me. Um, I started kind of using that like in my head, just like kind of treating like my emotional self as like a child is a baby that I'm like nurturing and taking care of. And even like uh, sort of mentally using like a rocking back and forth. Like kind of just like really like take like I'm taking care of you. <laughs> like this is what is like good for you. Very good. And it feels like it's like good to do it that way than like being critical. Mm -hmm. And then also I would say I, I really started working on sort of my uh, my Shakespearean experience of the world where you're <laughs> <laughs> where life is just a stage and you're and you're observing and you put the script down oh. so i had a lot of problem with that initially actually because when you first told me to to do that i said like I, I would sit and try and um just be with the body and i would find it very difficult to kind of just watch the body generally like just see what's going on generally mm-hmm and I would kind of like lose it. And I thought my concentration was better than that, but I would like lose it more often. But I got to a point where I can kind of just yeah, like. We generally have a higher opinion of ourselves than we actually deserve. Yeah. And in fact, you deserve all the love and affection and whatnot that you can get, not only can get, but a whole lot more of it even than that. But we're still not up to that mental standard that we think that we are. That we all think that we're genius. Yeah. I think it's good to recognize like where you are. And that's one I, of the things that many people say that it's humbling. To, to, to recognize that they don't have control of their own mind. They can't think the thoughts that they want to think. They think something that from the past or, or whatever. That we're yeah. not in control. That the mind just does its own thing. It, yeah. it plays in its own pile of crap. That's what it does. Even when you say that, there's like an emotional response to it, but I kind of bring in like that nurturing like adult, like we're going to figure it out, like we can do this, you know, <laughs> like even though that's the way it is, we're going to weather the storm. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll get by. Yeah, I know that this brain is only a human brain. It's nothing like I thought it was 35 years ago, but it'll do. It's fine. It's good enough. Adequate. Yeah. yeah. Um. Anyways, like what I was saying about just watching the body, I kind of go to a place now where I don't necessarily like look for anything in particular, like go to a certain point in the body and just try and be on it. Instead, I kind of just like let it speak to me because there's like a lot happening. So it's like almost just like letting it show me what's going on. Mm. But still like you sound very British in your understatement when you say a lot's going on. <laughs> That's an understatement. That is a true understatement by a long margin. 
There is a lot going on. Some, yeah, sometimes there doesn't seem to be as much as other times, but other times there's a lot, it seems like. Well, it depends upon how good we're paying attention to it. Mm. Things are hard to see when they're in the dark. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And when we're not paying attention to it, that's, then it's, we try to put it behind us or whatever like that, and then we're not paying any attention to it at all. But... Um, the, the way of thinking it correctly is, is of the, um, let us say something like billion nerve cells that you have that are part of your tactile sensation system, about 10% of them are firing all the time. Mm. And when they start firing all in the same area, all in the same way, then you really start to notice it. But if you start really noticing it and studying it, you begin to see, hey, things are, there's so much going on all the time. Yeah. And you can feel your butt on the chair. You can feel the bottom of your feet. You can feel the uh, wind, the touch, the touch of the cloth. I mean, everything is there. All you have to do is look. Just turn the light on, the light of looking. And there is just so, I mean, there you go. <laughs> Shoulder firing right on schedule. <laughs> right there. I got to watch myself around you. <laughs> Why? Uh, because I do. <laughs> yeah. That's, I want to get to that later, but. All right, so anyway, you've got a list of questions. Let's go for the questions. The first question is, I get tired of looking at the body because there's not much happening. Is that the question? No, I wasn't. Well, sometimes, well, yeah, I was saying that sometimes there seems to be less happening than other times. But as, as you said, like, as I look closer, I tend to find more. But I guess you could talk about that. Sure. Okay, well. What's your second question? I think that we just hammered that nail home. <laughs> yeah. Um, how about it? How about this is an easy one? I think uh, the sitting posture, because I've sort of, I started off like when I first started meditating, I was kind of, um, I never like really believed that I needed to like sit on the floor. I thought sitting in a chair was fine, but I still wanted to have a very um like straight back you know like good posture like chest mm -hmm. everything aligned properly but i don't yeah, know like sitting really... up straight in that is the only thing that the buddha mentions really the issue about cross-legged is simply because how else are you going to sit on the ground right last night we had a birthday party here about 25 Kitty's birthday, she just turned eight, had about five or six kids and about 25 adults. Mm -hmm. Big party time. Thai people sitting around. There was only one chair. Yours? The one I was sitting <laughs> in, exactly. <laughs> the grandfather, the uh, uh, um, <laughs> almost the godfather without the crime. <laughs> but everybody else is sitting on the floor. Mm -hmm. And many of them are sitting in better postures than your average or even best meditators in the West. Mm. Why is that? 
because they've been sitting on the floor their whole lives and they know how. This is yeah. Thailand. Well, the thing is, and I don't some of the know. girls were sitting in Burmese. I noticed it. Some of the girls were sitting in the uh, the Burmese. Some were sitting in the half lotus. A couple of them were sitting in the full lotus posture. And I was thinking, man, <laughs> I ought to take some photos around here just to show these Westerners who are so jealous that these 14, 15, and 20-year-old girls, they sit in the lotus posture because it's a stable posture to sit in, not because they're trying to show off. <laughs> yeah, I'm not interested in putting myself through all the work that it takes to get me there. I don't, I don't know if it's worth it. Well, that's because you started with 25 years or so of bad posture. Yeah. And all so, you I mean, needed to correct your posture was the floor. Yeah. But that's the thing. So, I'm, I mean, I don't plan to do, I don't plan to go on the floor. I plan to keep using the chair. But um, I'm not going to slap you. <laughs> I don't care. You're okay with me. I don't care what posture you're in. In fact, that's why the Buddha mentions all of them. The only reason why the sitting posture is a sitting posture that gives people in the West the idea of a meditation posture is simply because that's the natural way of sitting when you're sitting on the floor. Yeah. I mean, so the question and is... Yet, and yet when most Westerners are sitting... They've got inches or so above one or the other of the knees or perhaps both of them because they can't put their knees on the, on the floor. Mm -hmm. Why? Because they haven't exercised that way in so many years. But if you just do that every day, even the fat girls, even the fat boy, he can sit in those postures because he's in Thailand. But, to, but the average Western young adult is going to go through so much misery. I know I've been there. I've done that. I know what I'm talking about here. It was hard to sit. I took me years to learn to get both knees on the floor. Mm. And for what? I don't even sit on the floor anymore, so I don't even show off. I bet I can't do it. <laughs> well, actually, I do sit on the floor sometimes, but that's because of the bottom row of the uh, uh, of <clears throat> the server system is low enough that I need to sit down on the floor to, to get to it because it's about a foot off the floor. There's the first row. And so, yeah, I sit on the floor from time to time. I, and I can still do it. But I don't do it because I'm trying to meditate or anything because I can meditate in any posture. Do you have a pretty robust setup over there? I wouldn't call it robust or even expensive, but it is in a way massive. Okay. With about seven servers, wow. a total of about a uh, hundred and so terabytes. That's a lot of videos. Is that what you got on there? Yep. That's what That's... takes that kind of stuff is videos. Exactly. Right. Wow. That's awesome. And so my question about the chair was that, like, I kind of stopped sitting in the chair and I kind of just switched over to the couch. And when I'm in the couch, I'm like this. Ah, but that's going too far. Too far back. Well, it's, it actually uh, is uncomfortable and you will get too mobile. This is the whole part about when you sit up straight, then, then your chest can breathe well. 
that you want to make sure that you're sitting in a posture and when you're on a couch that normally especially if you've got a big butt and it collapses in and we get all uh yeah out of or either you know so what we want to do is uh the couch is not really good or designed for sitting up straight but a chair is great mm -hmm. okay so i think i might switch back to the the wooden chair and sit up straight mm -hmm. not a big deal i've been only doing like 10 15 minute meditation sessions anyway so it's not an issue um well, that's what I would recommend, that the uh, uh, the general mentality, and I know where it came from, it all got started from everybody was a copycat of uh, Goenka. Uh. I was with Goenka for about three years in India, so I know all about that. And that uh, sitting for an hour is uh, torture for a lot of people. That's why he eventually calls it a strong determination sitting is because it takes work because the uh, the legs get tired to go to sleep. Uh, the tendons start to stretch and people are put into postures that they can go into, but they can't maintain. It's almost like a ballerina that that is still standing on one toe with her arms like this, but she's not spinning anymore. And how long does she stand on that one toe? <laughs> Three, five seconds, 10 seconds, enough to make the whole, the whole audience go gaga, but she can't stand that way. She doesn't walk around on the top of her tiptoe. Yeah, right. Yeah, right. So that's the problem with the, with the, uh, the sitting postures and the sitting too long. Not only that, but it's quite well known that the attention span is only about 20 minutes at the best of times. But in fact, it takes a lot of focus, and that's one of the reasons why we do this for an hour is to start getting the, uh, the students to focus their minds on what we're talking about for a long time. Bhikkhu Buddhadasa was really, really excellent at those long, long talks. He would start talking on uh, about once a month or, or more often, start about two o'clock in the morning and go till sunrise. And he could do it for about four hours. Wow. Talking? Talking, right. Talking Dhamma. And, it, and many of them were at least prepared enough that it followed a particular subject. And sometimes his talks would take three nights to talk <laughs> for, just to cover one topic. Why would he, why would he do it over, uh, overnight? Oh, that's because it's a history of that the monks stay up on, uh, on that night. The Paddy Monk, once okay. a month, sitting up all night. And so I he's saw there for entertainment. A 24-hour sit. Was that real? In November? In what? Sorry, what is this? Uh, I was looking at, like, the website. The website. I saw an email um, about your website. And on the website, it said something about a 24-hour sit that you were hosting. I don't know. <laughs> like, on Skype. Maybe it was just, like, an example text. I don't know. Or something like that. <laughs> Um, I, I don't know anything about it. <laughs> that would be extreme. <laughs> um, but sometimes the monks sit up all night. 
Yeah. But they don't mean that they sit still in one posture as a sitting meditation all night. They'll do some chanting and then they'll do some sitting and monks will take breaks and uh, some of them will take a nap and come back uh, after an hour's nap and that kind of thing. It's all very friendly and everybody's easygoing and nobody's pointing fingers and no one is trying to keep track and no one is uh, gaga over how long that monk sits or any of that kind of competition that you find in the West. Yeah. It's just easy. I really yeah. like the analogy that you just used, though, with the ballerina because it makes a lot of sense. Like, she's not posing there and then staying in that pose and walking around through throughout her daily life she's doing it like in that time as like a purpose you know to wow the crowd and then walks normally mm -hmm. but she still has her ballerina grace in her life right yeah she still has that grace well guess what that's what we call nobility is a grace of living that's exactly where the next question was going to go okay which All is right. which is about I just started to notice that, like, um, I would say, like, yesterday I had a really good day. Like, I, I meditated. I, I really broke up my day a lot with the 10-minute sessions. I kind of did, like, a longer session in the morning, but then I broke up my day a lot, like, every single hour almost. Maybe missed a couple hours here and there. But, like, just because I wanted to. I don't know. But, and then today, I noticed that, like, I didn't do that as much. Like, I didn't do as much meditation. And but not only that, but like I kind of kept do I kept doing things that really like sucked my attention in. And so like all of my sati would go away. And whereas like all the other previous days in the week, like I would kind of keep sati going or I kind of keep remembering, kind of keep my head like above water, sort of. But like I just realized like today, like I really feel like I and I feel like I noticed that it's really easy. Or, or once I like let that sati go for like a really long time, like I just find myself stuck there kind of, or like, I don't, it's harder to get out of it. I don't know. I'm not sure if I'm trying to say it's harder to get out, but like, I'm just trying to say like, I want to be like more in sati more often because it's like so, it's so much less pleasant. And then when I wake up and like, I come back to it and like, I just sat there, it was like, wow. I should have been doing that all day. Like, this is so much better, you know? And, like, I want to, like, get to a place where I'm... You're already at that place. More. That's the whole point. Stop wanting to get someplace. Stop wanting to get someplace. Cheer yeah. up now. You've heard that old saw, uh, cheer up, things could get worse. I cheered up, and sure enough, things got worse. <laughs> you didn't hear that one. Okay. <laughs> well, that's the joke. The whole point is that it doesn't matter what's going to happen in the future. The point is, is can you cheer up right now? I like I like that one. I'm going to keep that in mind. That's a good one. <laughs> cheer up. It's, it's how do you say it again? Cheer up. It's going to get like it could get worse, and then I cheered up, and it still got worse. Cheer up. <laughs> but I cheer up. You cheered up. There you go. Well, I like that. Yeah. Because we don't know what the future is going to be. And we know that the past is gone. 
There's nothing that we can do about the past other than give it up. Yeah. Because it's dead. Yeah, I, I, I understand that. But I still want to say, like, okay, there's certain things that I do in my life that, that, I, that I do that I know are likely to kind of put me in a place where it's going to be a little bit more difficult to have Sati. You know? And kind of want to well, like. Well, that's just an opportunity to go have some sati while you're doing it. Take sati as a side dish for anything you eat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> sati side dish. Yeah, okay. it's time to wake up. It's better to wake up and look at what you're doing, turn the lights on, and watch what's happening rather than go around stumbling in the dark, thinking we remember how things should be. It's a, it's a right effort situation. That's what it is. Mm -hmm. So the analogy is, is that you're in the dark. It's late at night. You don't want to turn the lights on. You got to go to the toilet and you go from where you are to, to the toilet. And on the way to the toilet, you stub your toe on a piece of furniture. Now, the question is, did you stub your toe out of ignorance or did you stub your toe out of delusion? I think I already know the answer to that one. I think it's delusion. Yeah. yeah, because we thought we knew where the furniture was. Mm. You don't know. You have to look. Right. We don't know where it is. It's time to turn the lights on before we go to the toilet. We may stop our toe. Yeah. <laughs> and yet we go around living in a past, thinking that it's the present, instead of living in the real present moment. You know, one thing I've been noticing in my meditations is that, like, the sati, how we talked about there's levels to sati. Mm-hmm. Or sometimes I don't even know if it's just levels. Sometimes I feel like it's just remembering the right, the right things. Yeah, that's it. You have two levels. Then you don't remember nothing. Then you recognize that what's going on is wrong. That's the first step from zero. But then yeah. we can't see what's better than that or the higher point. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so That's we sort of halfway step. wake up. When we wake up in the bed, we don't wake up enough to get out of it. Mm -hmm. Later, we wake up fully enough to actually get out of bed. Yeah, like one concrete example of that is, for example, I can be on the body or maybe not even be on the body, but I could, I could be in the state of, a boda saying boda you know like doing that or i can just be feeling good like working with the feelings and then it's like oh, okay well the, the body you could work on that too but then i'll come in i'll say you know wait a minute i could also i i could also work on it what i this is like the kind of like the next step for me it seems like is um like not comparing moment by moment and letting like the moments be more um discreet if you know what i mean like, instead of like, you mean what meat looks like after you've taken a chop uh, a meat cleaver to it? Is that what you mean? Just chop stuff up. Yeah. Guess yeah. what? It's been this present moment for at least the last thirteen billion years, and it's the same moment. <laughs> Here it is. 
<laughs> no need to chop yeah. it up. Actually, you can't chop up this present moment. All you can do is do the chopping in your own mind. Yeah. So you think so? So why do you think that I'm getting like kind of that experience where it's like just like trying to I don't know. Um, it almost it kind of feel it kind of gives the sensation of like not comparing moments. It's like okay, like just like let be with this one here, like be with this one right now. I don't know. It makes you think a lot about the um, the Adam and Eve description that you give about how that's about like not judging like moments uh -huh. you know mm -hmm. and so that that's another level of sati for me that comes in it's like wait a minute like i could i could enjoy this moment even more if i don't compare it to the other moment that's like the next like remembering that's can, it this moment is good mm -hmm. right now is good that's it things are fine just right now yeah you know, I one thing I wanted to ask you about too was uh, I've been talking to my dad a lot about like this stuff. I mean, he's like a Christian, like more of a Christian, but I've been trying to talk to him about um, like the super mundane approach in like Buddhism and like in the world and the Dharma. And um, I've been trying to tell him about like the different Bible quotes that I've been hearing you like talk about that I think are like super mundane rather than like. You know, for example, the Adam and Eve one. And then also one that like really stuck with me was that uh, maybe you could give me an explanation of what, what it means is the one where um, like Jesus says that man has like the fox has the fox den and the bird has the bird's nest and man has no place to rest his head. The and son I, of man, he's referring to himself as the son of man, just like the Buddha referred to himself as the Tathagatha. That's why the Greek was translated as the son of man has no place to lay his head, which means Jesus himself has no home. He is a wanderer. And the wanderer is in the spirit of the Buddhist monk, the bhikkhu, the wandering monk. Uh -huh. So that's the re reference that uh, uh, birds have their nests and the foxes, the fields have their dens, but the Son of Man, the Son of Man, has no place to rest his head. Hmm. I thought that that had something more to do with, like, um, gosh, ownership of property is a really big deal in our culture. And no, for Jesus to say that he's a wanderer, that's a very, very big deal. Yeah. They've was, even got I laws was, against it in the United States. Oh, so the, the, what I was getting from it was like kind of more like how an animal, like a bird and like a fox, like kind of has, has that den in that nest in a way. And they're like, doing it's like it instinctually. They're simple, simple animals. And whereas like the man... Is like we have to have like this sati in order to be free. Like we have to be constantly like being awake. We have to put right effort in. We have to be present to the moment. Because otherwise we will crawl back into our hole for safety. Otherwise yeah. we'll spend half the year building a nest. Yeah. Okay. The 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 
actually, here's a much more important part of the story. It's not that the foxes have the holes because they, um, um, they're smart or intelligent, but rather the foxes have the holes because they're fearful. They're afraid and they want to hide. This is what we call the nesting instinct. It's one of the four primary instincts that we have, and I use that example often, but it's not just mammalian, or it's not the mammals, because birds flock that way. Mm -hmm. And And fish fish school that way. Exactly. Why do fish school the way they do? For protection. And the inside of the school or the inside of the herd, this is exactly why the sheep herd together. When the dog is barking, the sheep act like it's a pack of wolves. In fact, there's only one dog and he's just barking. He doesn't bite. Mm-hmm. But they herd together out of instinct. If any of those sheep had half a brain, he would start talking to each other. Hey, you know, that dog, every one of us is bigger than that dog. Why don't four or five of the big sheep just go surround that dog and pay attention to the dog and maybe give him a a bath or something (laughs) and everybody else can be free. But oh no, the barking dog then gets everybody into a herd. Mm -hmm. And so your politicians like Trump and Biden are only barking dogs and all the people, they will collect or herd into into a party and go vote. Because that's what the dog wants him to do. He barks this way and he barks that way and he comes around and gives them in the herd and then he gets them to the gate and they have to go vote that way. All together is a herd. And we learned that from the foxes and the birds from our deep, deep past. And so this thing is actually deeper. That, that was a parable that goes so deep that very few of the people in the time understood exactly what Jesus was talking about is that he's coming out of the instinctual urge to hide mm-hmm. yeah, and be free. Do not be afraid to wander around it because the world's a safe place. It's lovely. <laughs> wow. It's just in need of some nurturing. Yeah. That's true. I've but been thinking we, about... So, but that's wisdom. Wisdom is saying that this is a safe place. Instinctually, the self-preservation instinct with our herding instinct and our nesting instinct is saying, no, no, it's dangerous. Yeah. We've got a high, we, we monkeys have to go build a nest of leaves and high in the tree to keep the panthers away. We hide from them. Therefore, if any young monkey is crying and crying, if the mommy can't shut him up, the, 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 the big monkey in the crowd's going to throw that monkey out and let him fall to the ground and take care of himself because it's dangerous to keep a crying monkey in the, uh, in the nest. Really? I didn't know they did that. Wow. It's been seen. What's her name? The very famous one said that she uh, saw that. Gorillas in the Mist, that, that movie. Wow. That's, I guess fear will do it to you, huh? Well, fear will do anything for us. Everything. 
everything. Let's say if you've got Nazis at the door. Yeah. And that little Jewish baby is crying. That mother will suffocate that baby to get it to shut up. Wow. Fear will do that. That's what the nesting instinct is all about, is we've got to hide. We've got to get together and get into a small group and and uh, uh, protect ourselves. This is all self-preservation stuff. And it's instinctual. And we should be, as human beings now, beyond instincts. We've got a culture. Yeah. 100,000, 200, 600,000 years ago, the world was really a dangerous place. It's not dangerous now. Yeah. That's, that leads you don't us have any lions in your yard. There are no alligators in your sewer. You do not have a python around your neck. Yeah. There are no poisonous spiders. You're, you live a safe life. You don't have even the mafia or the police banging on your door. But yet we still have this uneasy feeling that things are not right. And we've got to make things safe. Yeah. And and does that get overcome at a certain point? Or is it, you know... Yes. And the trick is that the safety and the security is, is built upon nurturing as opposed to criticism. The criticism says something's wrong, something's dangerous, something needs to be done. And the nurturing says... Down, boy. They're there now. Don't worry. Everything is cool. Relax. That's what is Anapanasati is to gladden the mind. Cool off. Relax. That's exactly what the word Nibbana means. It just says, cool, baby, cool. You know, I think that the, there's a problem because, you know, you many people like probably practice Anapanasati and they practice it um even though you could read it glad in the mind and you could read it cool down the mind but you know some people are probably gonna and even myself i feel like that's where i was i mean i was i was speak speak for myself um was at a place where it was like you know you got to do this you got to do you got to get glad in the mind you know like criticism criticizing yeah you're going to criticize right exactly we we, that is the propensity that, in fact, that comes out of the nesting instinct. And that I think that it's gotten much worse as society is, is, is gone along in the sense that we wind up being critical of the very best stuff. I mean, you can even criticize angel food cake. And you can equally criticize devil's food cake. and so we wind up being critical most of the time now in some cases criticism makes the product better but it doesn't make the worker better no no it doesn't what we need is we need well the product is is extension of uh, fear isn't it yes it's a tool especially it's actually a weapon Everything yeah. you own is a weapon, even the cell phone. It's my favorite weapon here. Yeah, that's, that's, that's that was my next that, topic. <laughs> I want to mm-hmm. get, I want to let go of the weapon. It's one of my, I don't know, but yeah, I feel like it's a. 
it's a weapon to myself. Mm-hmm. Well, um, I, I have heard it uh, so um, much so that uh, the, the, the lady will say, well, I've got my cell phone. Therefore, I'm safe. I can walk down this blind alley, and if there's a guy there I, uh, that I'm afraid of, I'll just dial 911, right? And while she's got the nine dialed, he's grabbed her phone. <laughs> and, and before she gets the one dialed, he'll hit her. <laughs> but she feels safe with the cell phone. Yeah, that's exactly how we do. It's a false sense of security, but is covering up the fact that the insecurity is real. That we live insecure lives. So you can ask, what is it that you, every time you pick up the cell phone, ask yourself, what is it that you want from this cell phone that you don't already have in your mind? It's, I mean, I've been spending a lot of time on like some pretty entertaining YouTube videos. I'll tell you that much. Entertainment is what I'm thinking, you know, but when I sit down, it's a different story. It's lovely. All right. Well, one of the things that you can do is you can watch the YouTube videos thinking thoughts like I should be meditating now instead. It's not a good thought. Well. Or is it? <laughs> um, it's not so. meditation because it's a should. It's critical. That, that in fact, you can, while watching the video, you can close your eyes and take a deep breath. <sighs> I am not that video, but I don't care whether it's playing or not. Yeah. That in fact, most people don't even watch a video much. They, uh, they, they'll turn it to something else and start reading while they're watching or listening, and then they're not getting anything out of either one of them other than time structure. Yeah, that's basically what it is. Honestly, it makes the time like I don't know. So you just, how am I gonna burn this time away without it being so? The the answer to that is do something that you actually enjoy doing, rather than merely burning it down. Take the moment, let it linger, let it last. Hmm. Yeah. The fact is, is many people, we don't like this present moment because of the way we feel. So we're trying to escape the way we feel, escape into a video. So it's not ne necessarily a matter of, of entertainment, for sure, 100%. Yeah. But it's the fact that when we pick up that cell phone, it's because we want something. You know, one thing, um, it's... It's more like, so what you're describing there, we want something in that moment. I, I notice that when I maybe am hungry or, you know, tired after a long day of work, it's easier to slip into that, you know, than to go and why is it easier to go and do that than, and then time structure in that than um, go and do something I actually enjoy? Hmm. That's a good question to ask. That's a good question. Another alternate question that's exactly like that is, can I enjoy what's happening right now without having to go get something? Hmm. 
I mean, there is a still having to, I feel there's still a kind of a having to get something because to start, I need to get some oxygen, right? I need to get a deep breath. Yeah, but you don't have to go do anything to get a breath. In fact, I bet you can't even stop your body from breathing. (laughs) There is that breathing meditation. It's called the breathless meditation. That's when you take your your fingers, you put your thumbs in your ear, the index fingers over your eyes, and the others you use to close the mouth and the nose. Really? Yeah, and how long can you go? Not very long. (laughs) Not very long. The Buddha could do it until he passed out. Really? Have you ever seen anyone do that? I've heard stories of kids trying it and doing it. But the Buddha stopped doing it. So the Buddha was just... uh... Like the Michael Jordan of all this stuff, right? He could. Yeah, he, could he was. He would, Yeah, that's a good example, right? That Buddha was the Michael Jordan of everything basketball in the twenty five hundred years ago time. <laughs> he tried it all, yeah. all the austerities, all of the meditations, all the yogas, all the breathing, everything. He, and he was the best at every one of them. How how did he? Uh... How did he not struggle with um, this this time structure? He did. He did. he did. He did struggle. That was the whole point. He had a palace. He had an all-girls band. Yeah. He was a master at elephant training. He was an archer. He could do everything. He was literally the Michael Jordan. He even knew the Rig Vedas and all that kind of stuff because he had good education. What's a Rig Veda? That's the old Hindu stuff. Yeah. Or the old Upanishads, the uh, um, the Vedas. Yeah. That's what they call it. All right. So from 800 BC onwards, there were several hundred years of they just wrote so much ridiculous stuff. <laughs> Upanishad rings a bell. Like, I feel like I've heard of that. But it seems like the West, like, and, and, you know, we say it's ridiculous, but, like, I feel like there's Westerners practicing that stuff right now. You know, it's like, that's their thing. That's because they're all unhappy people. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Always wanting something. So they tried all the sports and all the universities and all the psychology, and that still wasn't enough, all the religions, and so now they got to go to the other side of the world and pick through another religion. There's got to be a pony and all of that horse shit someplace. This is one hell of a world, man. (laughs) (laughs) And so the Buddha was caught up in all of that stuff, too. And he came to the point of, wait a minute, what I am practicing here, I can't even get out of a stream. He'd gotten so weak trying to doing the austerities that he recognized that that's not the right way to go. That he should be, in fact, he was robust and healthy. And so why doesn't he get back to that state? How did he get out of the stream, by the way? I guess he crawled out. Crawled out. 
the lion. Well, that was before the lion. That I guess that was the 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 lowest of the sheep could go. Hmm. Yeah. And that's when he began to put together all of the best parts of what he had learned to come to understand that really what he was looking for all of this time was um, why he felt dissatisfied. That's dukkha. That's what it means, dissatisfying. Everything is dissatisfying. Nothing is satisfactory. Always a higher goal, always a higher mountain to climb. Mm. Always another bone to break, <laughs> if you're into that kind of stuff. Yeah. Always another muscle to pump up. Why not just be happy right now? <laughs> <laughs> Why not be happy now? Exactly. Why not just be happy now? That's just like, wow. I mean... <laughs> The answer is, is because by now we've gotten ourselves into such a bad habit of being unhappy that we have to keep remembering and turn it around. This is what sati is all about, is to wake up, look at what you're doing, recognize that this is is just more criticism, this is just more unwholesome stuff, this is just more myra, this is just more delusion. But now we wake up to the point of, aha, I am not that myra. Aha, I see you, myra. Out it goes, brighten the mind, we come to a state of satisfaction, we know that we can do this for so many times, we've become successful at it, and that's when the right attitude kicks in, and now the right attitude is, I can do this. No matter how bad I feel right now, I can start taking some deep breaths and come out of that mind state, and I can come back into a state of, of, of happy, uh, wholesome, uh, I can handle this anytime I want to. Anytime I remember that I can feel good, I can. That's the lions, the winner. I am, in fact, in charge. One of the ways that we talk about it, and a student gave me this one. He said, everyone is an emperor of their own pile of dirt. And I think that's brilliant. We are. Everyone is an emperor of their own pile of dirt. Which means if they're the emperor and they can't manage their pile of dirt, who or what can? So are you going to be uh, underneath the weight of all your own pile of dirt, being suffocated and smothered by it? Are you in the state of trying to crawl out of it? Are you merely just going to sit on top of it? being on top of your own world. You know, I'm trying that right now as we talk. You um, have to remember, that, yeah, I, I'm, yeah. I, I'm the emperor here. I'm the one who runs this feeling factory. <laughs> yeah, it's like I have like this itch right here and I'm feeling it and I'm like, the, the, there's I'm like a, enough, I don't have to scratch that itch. That's yeah. instinctual to scratch an itch. That's why scratch. That's why scratches grow into sores. Yeah. Well, it's like there, there's they get them. They're not good enough. I want it better, and I'm going to scratch at it and dig with it my, with my claws like a dog digs in a hole trying to find a bone. Yeah. It's instinctual. 
So what I want to ask you about that, though, is there's an itch there, right? And then there's a, I have, like, a, a feeling come up about, like, so once I don't scratch it, there's more so this feeling that comes up is, like, I, like, I don't like this. And then, but, but what I just did was, like, I'm the emperor of this Mount of Dirt, and I just said, like, I can be okay with that, or I can be, like, can I be satisfied with that? That I don't like that. Oh, or you can nurture it. Instinctually, we scratch at it, and then we restrain ourselves to keep from scratching it, and then we wisely decide what to do, which may mean that you might want to gently massage it a little bit, okay. nurture it. Or you can take the lion's position of, hey, I can handle that. There's nothing to it. It's just a little scratch. It's only an inch big. I'm, a, I'm, I'm bigger than that itch. That itch does not run my life. It does not motivate my hands. I do not have to take care of it. It's very much like the restraint that a, um, let us say, a large, powerful nation in the wars of nations and whatnot like that, that sometimes there's incidents and the president or the guy in charge or the big generals or whatever have to have some restraint mm. because they know if they go tit for tat, they're going to wind up in a war with nations. Mm -hmm. But at yeah. the local level, we don't have that wisdom. And so we'll go right tit for tat with somebody and the next thing you know, we're in war called an argument. Mm. Can't restrain mm, I, ourselves. That's my next question right there. But yes, I see that. My next one was going to be about like being a lion. But I see what you're saying now. Like if it's, if you're just like a tick on the lion, I'm not going to give you any mind, pay you any mind, right? Like, well, questions? it's certainly not going to allow it to take over. Okay. Yeah. So, I mean, it was going to be about, like, uh, like kind of, like, how the Buddha was, you know, passive. But like, the lion aspect and kind of, like, not being a pushover is, is what I wanted to get at. Like, how do, you, how do you make all those things work together? Not being a pushover, but, um, you know, not allowing other people to control you, those things. But, you know. But aren't they exactly the, the same thing? They're exactly the same thing in the sense that, and this is well known in the, uh, let us call it the shyster community, or the, uh, the, the uh, P.T. Barnum had the exact word for it. There's a sucker born every second. Okay. Who's P.T. So Barnum, by the way? P.T. Barnum, Barnum and Bailey Circus. You know the circuses that used oh, to yeah. travel? Yeah, okay, P.T. Barnum, that's the guy who said, and that's what a circus is. A circus goes from town to town because the people in that town really do get tired of it after a week. Mm. He has to keep moving because people don't buy a show. They buy it when it comes new until they figure out what it is, and then they don't keep going. Yeah, right. until maybe next but year. His, Something and like so that, that's his style, is the sucker's born every minute. He doesn't have to keep trying to sell the same stuff to the same crowd. But the point is, is that the other part of that is, 
is that you cannot um, hoodwink or uh, let us say rob an honest man. Why? Because the way that they get uh, people in with the, the sucker punch or the, uh, the bait and switch is to get their greed up. So they want something. They offer you a great big prize if you give them a little bit of money. And so they keep getting a little bit of money from a whole lot of people. This is also called the um, uh, uh, pyramid schemes and whatnot. Okay. So uh, the sucker, there's a sucker born every minute or every second uh, puts into, but you can only uh, rob them with their permission. A wise man, you can't rob him. He doesn't want anything. So he's not going to buy your song and dance or your sales pitch. Yeah. Okay. So that's going in the direction of your question about that the wise man is not going to be a pushover. It's hard to sell him anything. But he's not going to then chase you down the street in anger when he figures out that he's been ripped off. He knows you're trying to rip him off in the first place. That's why he doesn't buy into it. He just happily boogies on down the road. I mean, anything that can be sold to you for the most part, besides like maybe food, this like falls in that category. No, food's probably the number one item in that category. Do you see what they do to it in the United States? <clears throat> do you have well, any idea what Kraft and Tyson do with the food that you would have gotten if they hadn't gotten to it? <laughs> well, we got to eat, so. Yeah, but we don't have to eat the way that they want to feed us because they're not interested in feeding us. They're interested in making as much money off of us as they can. It's business. Yeah. A mommy will feed you. A mommy has compassion. A mommy has uh, nutriment and nourishment to give. But craft, they got a box of stuff to sell you. I need to find and me a mommy to make me uh, these meals. That's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's one of the reasons that I like Thailand. It's because the food is here is a whole lot better. Yeah. I, I'm, a big, I'm a big Thai food guy. <laughs> well, that's American. I don't know. I like Thai food here in, in the States. Well, uh, the Thai food that you get in the United States is Americanized. The Thai, the real Thai food, if you want real Thai food, you got to go to a Thai Wat. Oh, really? America. Yeah. That's where you <laughs> get the real Thai food, is the yeah. food that they bring to the monks. And that's especially true that there's, there's a story about it, that in London, the Thai Wat in London... Mm-hmm. Is is well cared for by a family who own one of the fanciest Thai restaurants in London. Mm. But the food that they give to the monks has nothing to do with any of the stuff that they've got on the menu that they call Thai food. They don't feed the. T- <laughs> yeah, I, that's the same with all the, uh, you know, like Chinese food. In New York City is. Uh, <laughs> it's not Chinese. You can't sell any of that stuff on the streets of China. <laughs> no. But you could not sell the stuff that they sell on the streets of China in New York. No, you could not. 
But I'll tell you one thing: that Chinese food in New York is uh, roast rat, for instance, is not appetizing to the <laughs> New Yorker. <laughs> yeah, no. Um, so going back to that, no, I'm I'm trying to get to it because we talked about the pushover thing. But what about like I understand that like from per- a perspective of selling something, I, I guess you could translate that into a conversation right but i'm talking about like maybe like a verbal sparring like somebody wants to like chirp you or something like that you know or like you know what i mean ah but you can be honest with them in a very hand uh happy joking uh nurturing way okay like hey man i don't need none of that stuff yeah yeah I guess that'll work. <laughs> yeah. Hey, man, I don't need any of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I, hope, I hope you can sell that stuff someplace, but I don't need any of it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, what are they trying to sell you? Uh, the persona? Well, one of the things that we can talk about Uh, and I hope to at a later time because there's so much to cover with this. Um, But when we're really, really young, we are nurtured by our mom. Mom gives us uh, a nurturing that also has a lot of brain chemically stuff uh, that in fact uh, is well known that Oxycontin is a, a chemical uh, made out of um, oxytocin. Uh, oxycotin. Uh, there, there's a brain chemical that sounds very similar to that, that is the chemical that's released in the brain for moms nurturing young infants. And yeah. so moms get really gushy and lovey-dovey and all of that with their infant babies, and it rubs off to everyone. If you go to a hospital where the mom is and he, she's receiving her baby, that's a gushy moment for everybody in the ward. Mm-hmm. It's a really beautiful, lovely moment. You take the infant home, you care for it, you nurture it, you feel really, really good about it, but that only lasts about five years or so. And mm-hmm. then we start telling that kid, hey, you ought to sit down and shut up. Why don't you start running your ABCs? You do what you're told to do. And then is when we get really critical of our kids. And so that child then starts to grow up, not in the environment of being nurtured and cared for and loved, but now there's a whole bunch of rules for him to follow and a lot of woulds and shoulds and a lot of criticism. And so we spend the next 15 to 30 years in a a mental criticism world rather than in a nurturing world. And we all go around criticizing each other, and every one of us wants nurturing, and nobody gives anybody any nurturing because we're all critical with each other, competitive rather than cooperative. Yeah, I, I got something there. Like, uh, so as soon as, as soon as a child is old enough to receive the fear, you start giving it to him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> as soon as he's smart enough to figure out that he, he can be beat into submission. Yeah. Yeah. They do. 
Okay. And so we deal with that the rest of our lives until we come out of it. And what we're really longing for is the nurturing we got when we were still in diapers. Guess what? We can. But you have to give it to yourself now. You can nurture yourself. Hey, this is good. Goo goo gaga. Let me see a little smile on your face. That's what we do with kids. Let's try to cheer them up. We nurture them. Okay, we'll start nurturing yourself. Yeah. I was literally like, okay, when I was, before I called you, I was like in my meditation and I was like, almost like when I was, I was doing like the Boda thing, because it's such like a simplistic, like childish thing to say. I was kind of like almost imagining like a kid, like, like, oh, like, da, like be sad, like be happy, be restful now, like. Relax and then, oh, like really happy. Yeah. Like almost like I'm entertaining like a little kid. That's exactly correct. That's what everybody wants. We want nourishment and we want um, an easy life. But we have criticized ourselves into being critics. Mm -hmm. And now we go around with a critical mindset. And the whole point of the teaching of the Buddha is let's turn that back around and be really easy on ourselves. Let's start watching for that criticism. Let's start noticing that we're having unwholesome thoughts and start letting the thoughts be wholesome, Mm -hmm. loving, gushy, delightful, bright and easy. But we have to look at what we're doing. So... Um, my next question is kind of interesting. It was about unwholesome music. What do you think about that? <laughs> unwholesome music is best avoided. And one of the most unwholesome qualities of music is when somebody else is doing it and you're the audience mm. so that it's entertaining. An example of that is what's happened in the uh, Christian churches is that they have gone from community singing, everybody sings along in the hymns, to stage presence performances with Grammys and pop stars and musical instruments and all of that kind of stuff on the stage. Okay. They've, they've gone from participation of music into a, um, an entertainment where somebody else is doing it. This well, is what the now, Buddha was well, against. Like- he, was, he was against not the Gita itself, but that you went to hear someone else or watch them dance or play music. The entertainment quality of it. Okay. That in yeah. fact, the chanting is all music. Everything is music. Even the Hindus call the universe Leela. It's a dance. And mm. the dance is the music of the spheres. Everything is music. Everything is a jig. Let's dance a jig. (laughs) Everything is a waltz. The monks chant. The chanting is music. Bodham Saranam Gachami Dhamam Saranam Gachami That's music. Ipitiso bhagawa eraha samma sambuto ija tena sampano. That's music. 
you can set the you can put the words down and then you can put the score up. Yeah. Some words are long, some are short, some of them are uh, high, some of them are low, and it's all music. Everything is music. The Buddha is not against music, but you ask the right question. What about unwholesome music? Some music is wholesome. In fact, life is music. So you can put music in the same classification as we do thought, in the sense that there is wholesome thought and wholesome music. And wholesome music promotes wholesome thought and promotes wholesome good feelings. And unwholesome music um, is, uh, is, a lot of it has to do with mood, but a lot of music is unwholesome because it gives unwholesome thoughts and unwholesome feelings. An example is funeral music. Funeral music that goes with a funeral is designed to make you feel bad, feel low, feel sad, tearjerker music. <laughs> okay. Why don't they like uh, that? That you ever heard the Halo music? Not. No, I haven't. That is. Not sure what that is. It's a video game. It's like. I, I don't know if I want to try it. It's like a, uh, like, I don't know. It's, it's kind of funny because, like, it, it's like this kind of classical, like, sound. But, like, kid, like, teenagers, like, like it because it's in the video game, you know? know. It's like a funny YouTube video of, like, these kids in the bathroom, like, singing it. <laughs> Anyways. Uh-huh. Um, no, so. Well, singing it in the bathroom, that's wholesome music. Because you yeah, feel good when you're doing it. That's a good it. time. Mm-hmm. So, but gangster but, rap on the radio, that's got a different quality to it. Yeah, that's what it was How about. How about Mick Jagger with a song, Can't Get No Satisfaction? I can't get no satisfaction. He sings yeah. it with full of satisfaction, though. It's a very satisfying song itself. But the words, no satisfaction. So is that unwholesome? Um... I'll let you decide that for yourself. That's a tough one. It feels nice to listen to it. Okay. <laughs> but the, the words are not wholesome at all. That's right. So maybe we can give it a miss. Find something better. <laughs> so um, about that, though, because you said that, like, okay, no matter if the music is is good or if it has wholesome words in it or not, it's still unwholesome because you're listening to it and you're not singing it. That's what I was getting from that. Mm-hmm. All right. So you can imagine then that uh, a violinist or someone who has been a student of violin and knows a lot about violin music and knows a lot about the fingering of a violin can then sit and watch a YouTube video of a uh, world-class musician playing something like the Tchaikovsky Violin Concerto, watching every move, being awed by the superior quality of this musician, and really get into the music. Yeah. And now you're in it. That's what we're talking about, is getting into the music, rather than it's just in the background 
or it. So that's because what I was going to do is going to connect the idea that um, viewing the music in that way in the background or I mean, sometimes you could listen to it and really like it. Like I could listen to I Can't Get No Satisfaction and, and really like it. Although mm-hmm. there's unwholesome aspects to it. Or I could listen to a song with wholesome words and still like it. But just listening to that song, for example, like, you know, make take a popular song like uh, the Pharrell, like, Happy song. Do you, have you heard that? Like, no. Sing along but I, if you feel. Ahead. Like, huh? sing, like, sing along if you feel like I'm so happy. I don't know. It's like. It's oh, a, yeah. There's a lot of. If you if you're happy and you know it, clap your hands. If you're happy right. and you know it, clap your hands. Okay. Or dance around. If you're happy and you know it, dance around. And then, okay. Yeah. So, yes, this is, in, in fact, um, one of the moods. And so we could say that what mood is that piece of music designed to put someone into because the music itself is very emotional. Music is an emotional language, and when we think about music by listening to it, we are thinking thoughts that are not verbal thoughts. Yeah. They're feeling thoughts. Yeah, I mean, so I'm I'm trying to connect this one to the whole YouTube aspect of, like, watching YouTube videos, because... I noticed what, that. There, but there is so much variety. When you say YouTube, I mean the very, very best and the very worst are all on YouTube. No, so that's what I wanted to say. It's like when you mentioned that listening, like the, the playing the violin and watching that masterful violinist, that's how I relate watching your videos. Okay. <laughs> I listen to you talk. And now the opposite. That thought didn't the, occur to me. <laughs> <laughs> And the opposite, what to me is, um, like the stuff that I have been watching today, which is just things that like really shock me or make me like uh, cringe or like get these really emotional, like oh my god, like, <laughs> reactions uh-huh. for myself. There, okay, that actually happens in movies. That's part of the reason why people call them entertaining. Um, I'll give you an example. I don't remember the name of it, uh, but that uh, the scene, this is a Mel Brooks movie. Okay. And that Richard Pryor and I forget the other guy's name, uh, um, that one's blind and the other one is deaf. Okay. And they go through one scene after another, but some of them are like really spellbinding uh, things, like everything is really screwed up and confused. Right. But then you recognize, well, that's what all movies are about, that they want to put you in a state of tension. Mm-hmm. But the horror movie wants to put you in an intense state of tension. Yeah. Why would you want to be in an intense state of tension? Why would you want to go to watch a movie like that? <laughs> because of yeah. the resolution of that tension, the release at the end. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm glad that's over. Well, if you're glad it's over, then why did you go through it in the first place? <laughs> <laughs> oh, my God. Wow. 
That's yeah. the whole idea is that, 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 that it's resolution. Well, guess what? Even at a detailed level, that's what happens. That, in fact, there's certain pieces of music that I centered around at one time to some of the students, and they didn't get the point. The point is, is that in this long piece of music, it went from one unresolved chord through a cadence, but when it got to the resolution, it would change keys and go off into another thing that never came to a conclusion. And after about three to five minutes of this long piece of music, it finally resolves in one chord that lasts only a short period of time, and now the thing is over. But at least it did resolve. Uh. I don't think if you know about music that much, but there's cadence and resolution. Like um, uh, you, you establish a uh, a dominant, uh, excuse me, a, a a bass note. Okay, like the like the chord of C, yeah. and so you want to now piddle around with B a lot until yeah. you finally then resolve it to the C, which is the uh, the root note. Okay. That's what a lot of music is, except that music can do this within two to three to five seconds. A movie takes an hour of tension before it finally resolves to the end of the movie. Exactly, yeah. So begin to watch that, that this is what we get wrapped up with. This is why, um, oh God, Enter the Dragon. I think is the movie where uh, uh, Bruce Lee goes from one floor to the next with various fighters, right? The whole point of it is with martial arts, especially Asian martial arts, which they were actually martial, military. These were striking weapons. You want to kill that guy within the first blow or two. You do not want to go 15 rounds. 15 rounds is a boxing match. It's a sport. It's entertainment. It's for people to, to, to bet money on and feel tense and all that kind of stuff. Real martial arts is a knockout punch, and he's dead, and that's it. But movies, how long does a movie fight scene last? 15 minutes? And then for an hour movie, you need three of them at least with a little bit of dialogue here and there. You got to get a girlfriend and you got to be uh, fighters in the beginning and lovers in the end. And meanwhile, the whole rest of the movie is just one brawl after another. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And all of that tension. So if you can look at um, wholesome music in that regard, wholesome music doesn't get things all tensed up in order to make a resolution. It starts off resolved. Mm. Everything is resolved. Is, uh, is, is classical music like that? Um, about the, uh, the, the tension and resolution? Yes, that's exactly what it's all um, designed around. Right. But it's done at a, um, and it's also, it does the same thing over and over and over and over again. Because that's what matches the human mind, that we like to, to have many verses of the same hymn. 
Yeah. Okay, so classical music is over and over and over and over again. That, in fact, one of the ways of thinking, in fact, this is quite beautiful. Uh, there are four big primary violin concertos. There is the Brahm, there is the Mendelssohn, there is uh, Tchaikovsky, and there is the Beethoven. And the top two are always, which is better, Tchaikovsky or Beethoven. But mm. all four of them are very intricate. The thing about the violin concerto from Beethoven is, is that it seems to be more of a duet between the timpani drums and the violinist. That in fact, the first thing that starts out with that, the whole thing is dom, 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 dom. And he's setting, and so the, the timpani is setting the tempo and the beat for the whole rest of the piece, for the violin to dance around. All that timpani, boom, 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 boom. <laughs> Quite beautiful. Sounds like Star Wars. Yeah. In fact, Star Wars, all the music uh, of Star Wars is based on classical principles. Hmm. Interesting. I feel like maybe I could get into some of that and leave behind some of the less wholesome music I've been listening to. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if it's joyful. This is why Beethoven's Ninth Symphony is so marvelous, is that last one called the Ode to Joy. They say that that's his funeral song. Joyful, joyful, we adore thee. Dum, 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 dum. You probably heard that many times. I've heard that before, yeah. Dum 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 I got a recommendation for you. Check it out. Let me see if I can I can find it. I might have to text it to you, but. <clears throat> yeah, never mind. Send it to me a little later. Yeah, I'll send it to you later, not right now. But anyways, yeah, I think that's all the questions I had. Um, one thing I was noticing was that like when I when I do have like kind of you know, we were how we were talking in the beginning about like how there wasn't so much sati and I found myself, you know, in the dirt essentially. But it's just kind of like I wonder if there's sort of a rubber banding effect like happening where like, like, like. It's a skill to be developed. Once you start sati and you keep practicing and practicing, it's almost like at any moment we can wake up. Yeah. At any point. It's like a rubber band. It just snaps right back. (laughs) And you want to develop that. Yeah. Basically to wake up. Well, I was kind of saying like when you, when you get really in it, then it's like it's really apparent and like you re- <laughs> you really don't like it maybe you realize this is not gonna this is not going where i want to go where i want it to go and i gotta come i gotta come back i got okay. so for example like this was just one day but before it could be days at a time where things are bad but this was not even a day it was just like a couple hours or less you know it's like i i'm i've had enough Good. Ready to come out. Uh huh. Tired of uh, hurting myself. 
tired of hurting yourself, tired of being critical of yourself, tired of wanting things you don't have. Sick and tired of being sick and tired. Yeah, sick and tired of being sick and tired means, oh, well, all right, I've finished now. <laughs> My work is done here. Uh, I'm going to take a hike now. <laughs> That's how it felt. That's literally how it felt. Like, I was watching the YouTube videos. It's like, I'm, I'm enough self-torture. <laughs> enough tension buildup. Mm-hmm. That's one of the problems with movies. Is that they want to get you tense. Yeah. So that you stay in it. Yeah. You got to be wise. You got to see through that. Mm-hmm. But we should probably wrap it up. It's been quite some time here. Hour and 20 minutes. I've enjoyed it. I've really Same. enjoyed. Well, I'm glad that we got all your questions out of the way, too. Yep. I'll, I'll be back next time with more, probably. All right. When we get tired of questions, then we'll get into real Dhamma. <laughs> <laughs> We'll see ya. Good to see you too. All right. Till next time. Okay, Bye. Bye bye.